The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. Good afternoon. This is Steve Orlins. I'm president of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and today I'm joined by Dr. Maria Repnikova who is one of America's leading experts on China-Russian relations. So, Maria, let me start with a question about yourself, Yes. which is you speak fluent Chinese, you speak fluent Russian, obviously fluent English. You're teaching here in the United States. Why? Why do I speak languages? Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up in a Russian-speaking family, so I moved to the States from Latvia and grew up speaking Russian. And then I learned Chinese as uh, part how, of my... How old were you when you moved? I was uh, 14 years old. Yeah. 14 and you moved to the United States? I did. I moved to Vermont. How was your English then? It was uh, a little worse than now. <laughs> it took some time to catch up. And then why Chinese? And I started learning Chinese at university as purely cultural interest that developed into more political interest. I spent a year on China-Russia border after finishing university and then I pursued more comparative politics dimension. On the Chinese side or the Russian side? Uh, on both. I spent most of my time on the Chinese side because I was interested in the standing Where? side of migration. Where? In uh, Harbin, and then I traveled to Suifenhe, Heihe, and other places right around the border. Uh-huh. And then also crossed the border along with Chinese migrants on a bus into the Russian Far East and traveled around there. What should we know about Russia-China relations? What matters to Americans? It matters to know that the relationship is far less strong than it appears. So it's important to be very careful about collusion theories and the notion of them getting closer and closer because in reality there are many tensions and competitive elements in the relationship that actually make them um, less significant allies than might appear uh, you know, from the start. So it's more important to understand what they're learning from each other than how close they're getting over time. What are the tensions? The tensions are on multiple dimensions. They're economic tensions. Um, because Why economic? Because in the last year in particular, uh, Russian economy has been going very slowly and uh, becoming less and less efficient, and Chinese economy is facing its own challenges. So basically, trade has uh, downgraded by 35%. Foreign direct investment from China to Russia has also decreased significantly up to the level of 2007. Isn't that based on the energy sector, though? It's not all energy. There are other um, facets of uh, trade, but the energy sector is also uh, staggering because the deal that was signed in 2014 has been stalled due to various uh, disagreements. So in the next year or two, there are more things to clear out, and the pipeline is yet to be built. What industries compete between China and Russia? Mm -hmm. Where where is the competitive Mm -hmm. nature? So it's not so much that their industries compete. It's more about the fact that they're not efficiently uh, coordinating uh, their complementary industries. So, for example, labor migration or exports of labor from China to Russia could be an efficient industry uh, to develop, but Russia is very afraid of uh, China's takeover. And expansionism. So there's would the Russians accept hundreds of thousands of Chinese? They murders? wouldn't. It's yeah, a they political wouldn't. issue. It's a political issue. It's a societal issue, and it's also a nas- national identity issue. So, as a result, a lot of projects do not get uh, implemented as efficiently because they require more labor than Russia can provide. For example, the gas pipeline is something that requires more workers uh, to be involved and to build. And Chinese workers can't go into Russia to build that pipeline? They can, but only some amounts, some numbers, and there are a lot of inefficiencies that they face. For example, delays with visas, uh, inefficiencies on the ground, various kinds of uh, tensions once they enter Russia. So not that many workers are actually willing to go. What have the Chinese learned from the Russians? 
Well, at the moment, I think that they're learning quite a few things, in particular the media strategy, when it's media strategy aimed at uh, the world as opposed to domestic audiences. So Russia Today um, is very successful you know, in the case of attracting global audiences, and there are many talks about China in some ways learning or trying to understand how, how the success has come about and whether or not they could do something similar with CCTV9 or other programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the political front as well, there are uh, some conversations and observations about Putin and Xi becoming closer and closer together, in some ways quite similar, adapting a personalistic, centralized approach to governance. That's something that's a little bit different or quite different. Are they getting closer, do you think? As leaders, there's there's projected closeness, but also in terms of how they govern. So a lot of emphasis on the individual as opposed to the institutions and on personalistic features of this individual. So characterizing them as the unique, the benevolent leader, and somebody who's in charge of the entire nation. That's something that's quite different from the past in Chinese system. Mm-hmm. You think the Chinese have studied kind of Russian action towards NGOs and civil society and are now applying it in China? It's possible, but it's still quite different the way that they manage civil society and uh, NGOs. There's, um, there are more restrictions, but there are, there's also more day-to-day monitoring and interaction with various civil society groups in the case of China versus Russia, whereas in Russia it happens kind of post-factum punishments gets exerted in the aftermath of something so already China been done. So China allows for much more leeway for NGOs and civil society than the So Russians. on day-to-day basis it does, but at the same time in terms of doing something bigger or how much can be critiqued is uh, much more narrow in China than in Russia. Mm-hmm. And their personal styles, Putin and, and Xi, mm-hmm. similar? Yeah, they're becoming more and more similar, I think. So that's something that's been observed by Chinese uh, public opinion makers and Western policymakers alike. So there's more and more effort to understand to what extent they're learning each other. Are they getting closer? Are the two of them getting closer? Kind of, is the U.S. in some way kind of pushing them closer? I think on the substantive level of policymaking, they're not getting that much closer. But in terms of the image that they project it appears to be getting closer. But I think this image is important more for domestic consumption as opposed to global consumption. Uh, so domestic audiences, um, public opinion, is very much in favor of a closer relationship between Russia and China on both sides. So it appears as a good thing for popular support and national identity building. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily translate into substantive elements of closeness. As I said before, there are a lot of tensions that undermine their partnership. The, China, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union... Um, for decades kind of sold out the Chinese Communist Party. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, you can say in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s. Mm-hmm. The Korean War was kind of the Soviets somewhat tricked the Chinese into fighting it, mm-hmm. one could argue, um, and on and on. How much do you think the Chinese remember of that? Mm-hmm. Do you think Xi Jinping thinks about that when he thinks about Russia? The past... Yes, think so. how much does that history play mm-hmm. in kind of the Chinese, I'll keep you far away because I know how you've treated me over mm-hmm. these, really, it's getting close to 100 years since right. the formation of the Chinese Communist Party. I think it's less of the kind of uh, resentment about how they've been treated as opposed to showing that now we're the stronger partner, the stronger ally in this relationship. So it, it helps to revoke or invoke some of these historical uh, legacies because they can say, well, we've gone through all this turbulence and the Soviet Union was a stronger partner for a long time. But now, vis-a-vis Russia, China is a stronger partner. But I'm not talking about partnership. Yeah. I'm actually talking about when the, the Communist Party of the mm-hmm. Soviet Union mm-hmm. cooperated mm-hmm. with the KMT and, right. and sold, you know, a number yeah. of Chinese communists were murdered as a result. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, they played both sides. They were kind of somewhat ambivalent about who they wanted mm-hmm. to win the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Does that... Do they, the Chinese still think of that? And they kind of say, ah, it's ancient history. It doesn't matter. No, I think they do think about history, and in particular also about the agreements, the border agreements, back from 1858, for example, right. when so much land was given away to... Uh, Russia, there's still memory, strong historical memory that's associated with that and discussed by young people, surprisingly, on the Internet. So I think it's still something that really strikes hard into national conscience. Is there still tension on the uh, Russian-Chinese border? Uh, it's, de- it's been demilitarized, so there isn't you know, active tension, but there's tension between cultures, there's tension about Chinese migrants coming over and living in Russia. So there are societal tensions, but there are no military or pervasive, you know, the, bo- the borders, I mean, they fought wars there, right. mean, skirmishes there. Right, um, yeah. The, the agreement, how would you characterize it? Fair? I, I thought it was quite fair to the Russians. Mm. Yes, I agree. I think it's, it's I think quite the Chinese compromised very significantly, mm-hmm. given the trajectory of the powers of both. Mm. I agree. It was more fair to the Russians, and that's why this question remains sensitive. Because um, it was so fair to the Russians. Right. So there's still some discussions uh, in public opinion about the fact that it could have been more fair towards Chinese and whether or not this question should be reopened. Yeah. Um, you think, is there a lesson in that, in the maritime disputes that mm-hmm. now exist between China and Vietnam and China mm-hmm. and the Philippines and others, that mm-hmm. somehow the Chinese settled these kind of quite fairly. Mm-hmm. But here there's such tension mm-hmm. in these... These the southeastern mm-hmm. areas, obviously maritime, not land. Mm-hmm. Well, the power of China has really escalated over the past several decades, right? So I think that it's a very different position from which it views itself. Um, what year was the was the uh, Russia-China border agreement? So 1969 was when they had the skirmishes and right. they signed the agreement. Um, pretty quickly after, but the border was still militarized uh, for quite right. a long time. And when did they demilitarize the border? That was after China started to open up and to yeah, reform its economy, so yeah. 70s and the relationship... So when China entered into... So you would posit then that today China would not enter into that kind of agreement when it's actually as strong, stronger than the Soviet Union. I would posit Russia. that they would probably seek out a more fair agreement um, mm-hmm. towards China, especially because public opinion is strongly in favor of you know, more referential agreements and they would be very unhappy with something that seems to, you know, favor the other nation more. So... Last question, since we're running out of time, is how should the U.S. think about this relationship? You've said don't worry that they're going to be allies, but mm-hmm. where do we fit in? I mean, mm-hmm. I saw this morning Wang Yi with the the uh, Soviet foreign minister, with the Russian foreign minister. Mm-hmm. Um, so where... How should we think about where do we fit in and what kind of policies Mm -hmm. should we have to kind of improve the trilateral relationship? Mm. Well, I think there's certain areas where the three could work together. For example, in economic development in the Russian Far East, in Siberia, these are regions that are still lagging far behind but have a lot of resources. And investment could come in as much from China as it could, you know, from the United States or from Japan, from other Asian allies. And that way things would also balance out more you know, not Russia not being completely dependent on China, but having other partners and other investors in the region. So there are economic uh, policies that could favor some of these regions better, but it's very difficult in light of sanctions now, because that's something that kind of strikes against our policy um, towards Russia today. Um, I think overall the, the more militaristic rhetoric and the notion of collusion is not helpful uh, for maintaining the relationship between the three countries, but also with the U.S. vis-a-vis China or vis-a-vis Russia. 
So the best thing that could be done is to maintain as best relationships as possible between the two, with the two nations. So China-U.S. relations and China-U.S.-Russia relations as separate, you know, entities, and to make them um, as good as possible, as opposed to focusing so much on the collusion between right. uh, China and Russia. But clearly, U.S.-Russia relations are worse than U.S.-China exactly. relations, They're and much worse, worse than Russia-China relations. They are. So this is the, the 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 hardest element. I think that's something that a lot of policymakers in D.C. are focused on. Mm-hmm. And so economic development, mm-hmm. that would require lifting of the sanctions, which mm-hmm. would require some settlement of the mm-hmm. Ukraine. Ukrainian crisis, which doesn't look like it's happening which is in the not, near future. Which is not on the horizon. So the hardest challenge, I think, is, is going to be managing U.S.-Russia relations. That's, that seems to be the most uh, sensitive element mm-hmm. in the triangle. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, this is Dr. Maria Reknikova. And we have had a wonderful discussion on uh, Russia-China relations and its effect on U.S.-China relations. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me.